0: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Mike Moran, and with me is Jason Ritchie. Hey, Jason.
1: Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you doing? Good
0: morning. We're minus one co-host. Neil's not with us today, so we're going to make this a uh, little shop talk podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of shop talk, I thought I had seen you um, tear apart your entire basement last week. I think that's always a good conversation is uh, how does a fellow go about organizing a shop to make knives um, we have two different shops, but they're both at our homes uh, maybe I'll kick it over to you Jason since you're the one that's uh well i'm a- I'm actually in the middle of tearing up some of my shop but uh, yeah. you had just finished it so maybe you know start at the beginning how did you end up in your basement
1: we've got half of our basement as a utility room and uh, so when I started getting into all this fun knife stuff I was doing recover modifications on Production knives or whatnot, and I started off with a block of wood and a hammer and some nails and do that work and and literally no workbench down here. I don't. Well, I guess I did have a little bit of one, but and then I just from there I figured out that uh, I needed better tooling and I started buying better tooling, cheap stuff to begin with. And uh, point in time came where I decided I'm going to do knife making and I started planning the shop and I turned what was a workbench on a wall into a small room in my utility room and so uh,
0: what made you keep it in the basement though because by then you knew you make a a fair amount of uh of dust and debris
1: we live in the midwest we're midwest folk just like you and um i don't we've got some nicer vehicles man and i just i'm i'm pretty anal i can't stand leaving my vehicle sit outside through the winter and cold months we utilize our garage as our garage and and uh, I just don't have enough space in there, with vehicles and everything else, to have a shop. So we utilize. I just utilize the space I had available to me, and I've got a nine by thirteen area corner in the basement, and it is full to the brim <laughs> with stuff. <Yeah. laughs> there, there's always a way, man. I, you know, when I was in the military, I was on ship, deployed twice, and we had we got a we got like a wall locker to live out of what for six months and this thing was like 12 by 12 by 12 deep square and that literally had everything you needed in it if you were lucky you could get to i think the marine corps taught me to be a master at stuffing a bunch (laughs) into a little tiny space and be organized about doing it i don't i kind of have a knack for doing that so so yeah i'm not as lucky as you mike i don't have that nice big garage all sprawled out i
0: don't have a big garage i bet my garage is uh fairly typical it's 20 by 20
1: how do you end up in the garage
0: when i started making my first knife i did it on a like a folding cardboard table there was somewhat of a workbench in this house when i moved in but it was Mm -hmm. it was it was strange looking i did on a folding cardboard table and my workbenches have evolved from there but you know in order to create a workshop in your garage i mean it's a long process you can't just jump into this mm-hmm. kind of thing because you first have to train your wife to park on the driveway <laughs> and not yeah. in the garage mm-hmm. so you've got to you got to think these things through you can't just jump into it, it takes planning yeah. conniving arm twisting
1: <laughs> you got to you got to convince her that cleaning snow off of her car is It's a good chore to do. It's
0: worth the effort and time. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, it started in the garage and just kind of stayed here. I have a basement. It's half finished, half not. Mostly finished, I should say. And -hmm. I have a workbench Mm -hmm. down there, too. I do like leather work and and that kind of stuff. But it's mostly consumed by my kids these days. I don't have a walkout. I'm assuming your basement does have a walkout.
1: I don't have a walkout, but but I do have, uh, right to my left here, I do have a doorway and a stairwell that goes up to our garage. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so I have access straight to the garage from from my basement.
0: These steps into my basement, the The doorway is not super wide. It's a typical internal mm-hmm. doorway. I don't know what the dimensions of that are, but I know it's hard. You know, I had to take the door jam off to get a couch down there. I've done that a few times. So yeah. it's not super practical to get big, heavy stuff down there and i just kind of ruled it out the one side i always the one side i always like am a bit envious of you on is the heating and cooling because when i'm in my garage there are not a lot of days where either the air conditioner or the heater is not running whereas you Mm -hmm. uh you can just walk down and get to work i guess
1: yep it's it's a sunny 70 degrees in here every single day
0: yeah Yeah, that's super nice.
1: It's San Diego in my shop, man.
0: Yeah, my garage didn't have any uh, windows or anything. Um, I have a traditional old garage door that's 30 years old with no windows in it. So Mm -hmm. uh, one night, oh, maybe five, six years ago, I cut a doorway into the back of my garage with a circular saw. Mm -hmm. I would say that a pro tip would be not to cut through the back of your garage. That's like final siding when it's... Minus five degrees outside because the vinyl siding will chip. It gets
1: really hard, man. Yeah, yeah. Do yep. it on a warmer day. Yep. But I cut
0: a door. <laughs> I went down to Lowe's, got a door, and put it in there. I trimmed around it with some <laughs> nice uh, pine wood from the Home Depot. What used to be $3 is now $17. And there you yeah. go. I got a door. So And I got some light. Although, putting a door in your garage, you lose a whole bunch of workshop space. Or, or at least... Sure bench space. So I put the door in the corner um, thinking that would be where I would lose the least amount of space. I'm not convinced that that's the best way. I think maybe putting it in the middle of a of a wall would be a better way. Okay. But the- the door is key, and, and the reason I bring up the door is just like a safety deal. Uh, yeah. I I actually have my overhead garage door disconnected from the opener. There is, you know, it it's a ten minute ordeal to open the thing. I got machinery up against it. I got stuff hanging off my garage door, so I wanted to make sure I had a good exit in case things got out of control in here for some reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, which can happen in a heartbeat. With with anything, I mean, not just knife making, but it, when you're working with tooling and whatnot, you can yeah you can get out of control pretty quick if you're not careful. So yeah, you you basically then your garage is a dedicated knife shop. Do you have any I mean, any other space in that garage for any other just straight home activities, or is that have you procured the whole thing for?
0: Yeah, there's making? still some stuff in here, so I have probably a little over a dozen bikes in the. A garage some of my kids mm-hmm. ride competitively and so that takes up space you know chainsaws and leaf blowers and lawn mowers they're all oh, yeah. tucked in here very cleverly so I use <laughs> mm, about half my garage for my workshop and mm-hmm. I continuously find over the years that I am trying to condense the workshop down and down and down try to make it tighter and tighter and tighter yeah and i'm in a pretty good spot right now where i work just between two workbenches that are parallel and they're about mm, one's about uh 15 feet long and one's about 12 feet long and they're yep. parallel to each other with a four foot aisle mm-hmm. and i can just turn around and be at a machine turn around and be back at a workbench so yeah i might even push
1: them yeah. a little bit closer we've had this conversation uh amongst ourselves before that um, as I get deeper into this myself, I, I do appreciate, honestly, the size of my shop. I would like it to be maybe a foot or two wider in and in a maybe five feet or so longer. But I do appreciate the fact that everything's kind of condensed and close, so there's not a lot of wasted movement. You know, everything's really close. Um, I can go from one workstation to the next. So I do, I kind of do appreciate that. I don't know having a bigger space or a, or a really large space would satisfy me in the process of making a slip joint knife. But
0: Yeah, it doesn't take much to make little pocket knives as far as space. Now, I do have a lot of machinery that I don't have in the work area. You know, pantograph, a big drill press, kick press, mm-hmm. a couple of workbenches, sandblaster, air compressor, all that stuff scattered throughout the garage. It's mostly located next to each other, sure. but it's it's not stuff you touch all the time
1: well yeah for sure i i mean i can tell you uh for me personally i i do not have an air compressor i don't even own one man i don't know um, how you do it with that one i i know it i don't have a blast cabinet i don't have i mean you know i don't have a panograph i'd love to have one but there's a lot of things i don't have i've tried to make my 2x72 as versatile as i possibly can to fit my space Uh, You mentioned I had pulled my shop apart a week or two ago, and that came about because I wanted to see if I could possibly fit a horizontal 2x72 in here, a dedicated horizontal, and um, I found out in the process that I could, but it was going to be extremely tight to do it. I found another option for my 2x72 to make it a little bit more versatile, but for now, I think I'm pretty maxed out. I can maybe do one more disc grinder in here. I'd like to get one that's a horizontal, but um, I'm pretty happy with uh, the layout I got going right now. It seems pretty efficient for me.
0: I think the one thing that we both, neither of us have is natural light. You know, when you think about the old old guys, the guys in Germany, the guys in Sheffield, they were, all their workbenches were under windows, of course, yeah. They didn't have nice LED lights, mm-hmm. but I think that having natural lights in a you can see all the scratches, all the kind of fun yeah. stuff that you don't always see under so-called optimal LED lighting. So I always have to walk outside with a knife towards the end and start looking at it closely to to see, yep, you know, is there anything I'm missing? The old guys had that figured out. Workbench under the under the window. You know, I've always yeah, I've looked no. at a lot of their workbenches. You know, when I started making knives, I couldn't find a lot of information, so I started just looking at historical documentation. They they had workbenches. They were typically oh, I would say about twenty inches wide. I would say about five feet in length, typically. They'd have a, okay. a leg vise on the right-hand side of the work area, sometimes on the left-hand side. I think that just depends on if you're right-handed or left-handed. They didn't have what we would have, like a workbench vise. Sure. I, I looked that up once to see, you know, what why is that? And I started seeing a lot of, like, knife makers getting these leg vices, yeah. And I'm like, man, it seems, you know, like it's always in your way and... They just liked them because they were e- cheaper, and the leg vices were easier to to make than a big cast bench vise back in the day. I'd For sure, found a couple sources yep. citing that. So anyway, there's the story of the leg vise. But what you know, they'd have a bunch of hammers, a bunch of files, no, obviously no drill press, <laughs> bow right. drill, bow drill, so that they could drill holes and uh, you know use their two legged parsers to to do the shield work so that was basically a cutler's workbench i also found no evidence that they had thin workbenches most of the photos i have tucked away their workbenches were no less than an inch thick of real wood you know not the the fake wood we buy nowadays sometimes two or three inches thick oak or something of that nature i'm sure yeah i don't i'm not 100 percent sure you know i do have this furniture book that has uh, st- a section on stools on it. It has three-legged stools, and one's called a cutler stool. And Is that right? In this book, it claims that cutlers would cut the side of their bench off. By the way, in Sheffield, they called their workbenches sides, so they would cut the side of their workbench off. I don't know if maybe the the boards came in a certain length that was too long or. Mm-hmm they didn't need, and they would make stools out of them. I, I've never found another source to verify that. You know, that still lives on today. You still see uh, manufacturers and these custom guys that, that make stools, and they call them cutler stools. So supposedly, they were made from the side of a workbench.
1: So, so in the sense, then, the, I mean, there was kind of an industry standard on these guys' work areas, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. I'm. Is that kind of what you're finding out?
0: You know, there was a gal that... She documented a lot of this stuff. Her name was Victoria Ann Beauchamp. And she wrote, a. there's a two-volume book that's available publicly. I think I have a link on my website. Um, she wrote The Workshops of the Cutlery Industry in Hallamshire, 1750 to 1900. Yeah. So she's got a lot of this stuff documented, even down to like the, the dimensions of fireplaces and chimneys and forges and windows, because you have to think about it. I don't know if the size of the workbench was related to the size of the window of the time I'm not 100% sure, sure. I'd have to go re- reread through some of her information so I don't I don't know that to be true I know that you know if you had a workbench you were most likely renting it at least in Sheffield usually near water power okay. where you would rent a bench or a side as they called it and then you might sublet it too so if you had an assistant or an apprentice you might sublet you know, two feet of your bench to him
1: and and that was really their sh- entire shop was on that bench is that kind of what yeah you're because they were very right specialized
0: now? you know cutlers of that day were really like what we call watchmakers nowadays right like watchmakers uh, don't make yeah. all the parts unless you're you know some custom guy making one or two watches a year they
1: it's it's really interesting i mean even going back in history in in up to now you and me sitting here talking um you know we talk about our shops at a lot of knife makers talk about shops. I think we all take a a lot of pride in putting these things together. They're well thought out, uh, generally, uh they're well laid out. For for any knife maker, if you're forging or making slip joint pocket knives, you know. It just seems like when you see a lot of bakers post video or shop tours you're looking at a space that is really well thought out and laid out for how that guy or girl is going to be working you see a lot of videos on some of the makers on instagram and whatnot and they're very straightforward in their space they they really know where they're going for the next task everything has a purpose
0: yeah and and no two guys seem to have the same same layout where I no, think if you could no. look at cutlery shops from the 1800s, you could probably walk in a building and go straight to work at a, a, a workbench. I don't know. I'm speculating
1: yeah, When you were describing that to me, uh, it, it seems like in some way there was there was like an industry standard on how a workbench should be set up. For the most part, they were set up pretty standardized.
0: Yeah. And, and they would evolve over time, though. You saw the were old workbenches of Sheffield. You know, they became buffing stations and grinding stations with the, the uh, sure. advent of like steam power. you might They might run a shaft in there or something like that. So, you know, you see these things evolve over time. You could tell they were still workbenches, but there's big cutouts for wheels and, and buffs mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing. Same same yeah. in mine as I look around. You know, I used to have you know a workbench over there and a drill press here and this used to be that and things evolve. But I think they evolve towards efficiency maybe. I don't know if you're a new guy listening to this you know, get yourself a big solid workbench. Get your, train your wife to park out in the driveway or, you know, go down the sure. basement if you're in the Middle
1: West or East Coast. Well, that's, that's interesting when you say get a big solid workbench because um, you kind of came up with a workbench <laughs> hack. That's right. Here recently. And, and, and anybody that's bought a workbench for anything, I don't, I don't care what you're doing, or maybe you made one. Even if you got to make one now, the lumber is extremely expensive, right? It's gone up three times the price, but Workbenches aren't cheap, and you kind of found a hack. Why don't you tell yeah, everybody yeah, about the yeah. hack? So you found. I was
0: building you know, a pretty standard workbench out of two by fours and some plywood topping. And when you find out that there's a cabal of uh, lumber companies, or four lumber companies in the North America that control prices, decided to cash out <laughs> on some of their cabal-like existence. I guess I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some guy arguing right now that's not it. <laughs> anyway, whatever it was, <laughs> prices were ridiculous. And I needed to build some new workbenches. And I had just made a visit to Todd Davison down in Mississippi. And i had mm-hmm. gotten a lot of great ideas from Todd. So I came back and I, I, on my way back, I was calculating lumber costs to build these benches. And I'm like, this is there's just mm-hmm. no way. And so I went to Menards and they had steel shelving you know, industrial steel shelving. You know, something that can carry yep. a couple thousand pounds. And I started doing the the math, and you could build an eight foot workbench for about a hundred bucks. I think it was, or maybe a little bit less. Keep me honest, there, Jason.
1: For one one workbench that's I think thirty six inches wide, it's less than a hundred dollars for sure, even with the top.
0: So I went out and bought one just to try it out, and I at first just put some equipment on it and. Set it over the side, and it worked really well, and it was actually really stable, just as stable as some two by four benches for the most part. So I went hog wild and bought a whole bunch of them, um, including some really tall ones, like seven, eight foot shelving units, where I could build a workbench and then have even storage above that, and you could stick toolboxes under it and all that kind of fun stuff. I think I did a whole, I bought a whole bunch of them. I, I feel like I started a trend, or some you know a lot of guys found the same problem because you know by the end of the summer last year you couldn't find that shelving anywhere
1: when you told me about that and you were showing me I, and the brand is called extreme shelving it's like a snap together the tube style shelving a lot of people have have it you were showing me that and like i ran to menards because i was kind of kind of really starting to put my shop together at that point it's pretty awesome stuff man um now you can switch the top out i i just use the cheap i don't even know what press board or whatever inch thick on my top yeah but, like
0: particle board um, you can buy it real cheap yeah.
1: for the shelving or you can just make your I, own i've got a yeah. mix of both i had grand design of putting plate steel in mine half inch thick plate steel and then remembered that's got to come downstairs <laughs> into a basement and, yeah and so i went with the board which has held up it's been pretty durable so i mean i've got one two three i've got three of them in my shop right now and i've probably got less than two hundred dollars into all three of them yeah kudos to you man that was a great hack
0: well we'll see i figure worst case you know scenario they become storage units down the road yep. so but they're working pretty yep. good and if you get the right height you can slide toolboxes and all that kind of fun stuff I've got one that's got toolbox. Yep. It's got a huge, like, six-foot toolbox and an air compressor underneath it. So you can mm-hmm. come up with all kinds of configurations, I suppose.
1: I have a Harbor Freight toolbox, 14-inch wide. It's a side box, and it fits perfectly underneath.
0: I like that. How many uh, drawers
1: is in that? The table. Or drawers are in that? Um, let me see here. One, two, three, four, five. Six. It's a seven-drawer toolbox. Yeah. it It's very deep. I can't, I don't. Got the exact measurement on that depth. but um, Do the drawers slide all the way out? Yes. I actually just bought another one to put right next to my mill. So I'm waiting on that to come in, and then all of my milling material is and in, in whatnot is going to go into that.
0: That's interesting. I don't use a lot of toolboxes around my work area because I think maybe unlike you, I keep all my tools out. So mm-hmm. I have a main work area that's about 18 inches in length and maybe... Fifteen inches deep, where I do all my work. I guess the other part of uh, workshops electricity, having enough.
1: Oh yeah, juice. What do you think a code inspector would say if he walked into oh, your shop? Oh, he'd be <laughs>
0: pretty impressed <laughs> until he looked at the electric, baby. Uh, I ran, um, so my uh, electric comes into my house on the opposite side of my house in the basement. So I did a big run mm-hmm. of. 240 or 220 whatever you want to call it some big four wire cable that's a pain sure. in the butt to, to run so I ran that mm-hmm. and that put me back some money for sure that was many years ago I had the foresight to do that and I knew I could run 110 off that too if I wanted to but I ran it out here because I had bought a kiln so I have that and then I can run an electric heater out here as well which is what I do in the wintertime I run an electric heater and then I ran another 110 I had one more spot left on my panel in the basement so i ran 110 and these are long runs like 100 some feet yeah i ran 110 to the shop and i already had 110 out here but it's on a gfi which most guys know you can't run some of this equipment especially with vfds no. on a gfi or whatever they call it gfci so yep. uh yeah i have a little bit of electric but i always find myself especially when my air compressor comes on it has a humongous startup draw i always find myself looking for more electric it seems like so you can never have enough. Yeah. That's one of those things, like workbenches and electricity,
1: huh? I'm uh, very, very limited. I I wanted to run a 240 run because mine's mine's in the basement. My panel here as well, and it's not close. It's on the other side of the basement. I wanted to run a 240 run so I could get a higher powered kiln because my uh, my 120 just it takes about it takes me about two hours to to get a uh, you know CPM 154 magna cut up to temp and so before i can quench it so from start to finish about two hours and then i quench it then you're doing all the tempering stuff so i think a 240 kiln would cut that down considerably going forward i mean do you do you foresee uh any changes a building uh addition anything going forward for your shop do you see yourself moving into a different space or are you going to
0: I don't know where life will take me. My wife and I are always talking about moving either mm-hmm. to the beach or to the mountains. And then we, you know, realize we have no money to do that. I would give it some serious thought as to how I would go about it, whether or not it be a separate shop or not. I'm not 100% sure. Because uh, of our life situation right now, and, you know, I homeschool our kids. I'm in and out of the garage all the time. It's convenient and it works
1: well for me right now. I've thought about it a lot, too, and I, I put a lot of lot of thought into into shops and layout and whatnot and pretty spoiled in how i'm set up because i can literally hear my wife talking upstairs and i'm down here i can walk right down the stairs in my socks if i want come into the shop and i can sit here and monkey around and if she's telling me i need to come help her dinner's ready or whatever it's literally just a a yell down the stairs so that's pretty nice
0: yes always monkeying around with the workshop design keep it as small as you can now that's the the idea all right well there's a workshop uh until we until we move things around again right i think i've re mine maybe a dozen times
1: well it's no fun when you do it but uh yeah. sometimes when you get done and you get back into work and you're pretty happy with yeah what you did or you figure out that something else needs to go always somewhere leave space and-
0: though i mean because you're always going to get another yeah. piece of equipment leave some space cool well it's been fun fun talking jason Absolutely. Till next time. Alrighty. Take care,
1: Mike.